plan from creation to eternity. And we want to see that we're mapping that out and uh, reading that and understanding it and realizing that God hasn't changed his mind. His plan is, is being put into process from the very beginning. You know, when man sinned, that didn't mess up God and think, oh, what am I going to do now? You know, it was always God's plan from the beginning to send a saviour. He knew what a mess we would be in. It's always God's plan to choose a people. And he chose the people, he used Abraham, his chosen one, and from Abraham grew a nation. And they took them to the place where God wanted them to be. They received the law, they received God's presence in the temple. They were shown how to worship in that sense. But it was still a journey of faith. And yet it became a journey of law for many of them. They received their king, and we've seen how David and then Solomon, in a way, the pinnacle of God's physical kingdom on earth. But it all went downhill from there, and we can see, there it is, the kingdom ends up being divided. uh, Judah and Israel going separate ways, and um, there's war between them. And so we're today looking at a period that is, we call about the major prophets, a time when basically the kingdom of God, in terms of his nation of Israel, his people in his place, being blessed with his presence as it was in that Old Testament, begins to decline and certainly goes downhill. Now there are three divisions, if we go on to the next slide. Um, I have to say that because they can't see what I'm going to be saying, and I can't see it either, so if I'll say that... I can tell you now, Melvin, I will get lost in a couple of minutes, so just guess. <laughs> um, there are three divisions in the Hebrew Old Testament. The law, the prophets, uh, and what sometimes is called the Psalms, or it's not just the book of Psalms, the writings that are made up of both the poetry and the wisdom literature. In fact, Jesus mentions them all. In that wonderful passage on that, uh, that day after his resurrection, where he's walking along the road with the man on that Emmaus road, and he begins to explain everything about him, and he refers to the law and the prophets and the writings. The prophets were, uh, are divided into two sections, right? And so you get these known, known as the former prophets and the latter prophets. In other words, they speaks for themselves. Some were earlier than, than others. The latter ones came later. Right, that makes sense, doesn't it? And then the latter prophets, they fall into two divisions as well, known as the major prophets and the minor prophets. Who's familiar with these terms? Yes, yeah, some of you are familiar with those terms. Some of you may have heard those terms. And think, I don't know what I mean, though. See, major doesn't mean that they were more important, and the minor ones, well, they're lesser important, so we're, 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 you know, don't have to bother with them. No, we're going to look at the minor prophets next week as well. Um, but major in that sense just means they were longer (laughs) so you have these three major prophets in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel in fact each of the three of the largest books in the Bible to be honest and each one of them is larger than all the other 12 minor prophets put together so major and minor doesn't mean that they are less significant it just means they were shorter okay and each of these um, prophets related and spoke into different periods of history, in a sense. And these major prophets spoke to different um, parts of what was going on in the nation. So if we go on to another one here, um, that kind of says the same thing there. You've got, yes, 
Can't remember why I put that in. It looked flashy, I expect. But uh, let's go to the next one. <laughs> you know? um, is, there, is there a one with a map on it? Have you seen that one? A map of the Middle East somewhere? Go through? Go back? Well, no, 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 you're going too far now. We're on, we're on to Roosevelt now. No. Okay, well, <laughs> maybe switch it off. It might just... Dist- hey, there we go. <laughs> I don't want this to be a distract. It's supposed to be an aid. <laughs> becomes becomes a game of bingo if it just kind of... See if we can hit the right one. <laughs> okay, here you, here you get... You see, what, what I want you to t- see, recognize is different prophets, in a way, spoke to these different parts of the nation of... Well, we called it Israel, but it was Israel and Judah. They broke into two, didn't they? And uh, so the northern kingdom of Israel had fallen, and it had been ta- the people had been taken captive off to Assyria um, around sort of 720 BC, that kind of period. The prophets that spoke to related to to uh, Israel in that time were people like Amos and Hosea and um, Isaiah and Micah and places people like that. The southern kingdom of Judah that also fell. And they were also taken into captivity about a hundred years later. And they went off to Babylon. And so you can see these two, this nation, God's people in God's place with God's blessing is suddenly dissipated. And they've gone to different places. They're in captivity. Right? And uh, people like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Habakkuk and others speak to uh, the nation of Judah. Later, of course, when we get to it, there'll be a movement back from Babylon, back into the land of Israel, and um, they will re-inhabit Jerusalem, and uh, we'll be familiar with some of those things through the priests like Ezra and man like Nehemiah. We'll, we'll get to that later on. If we go back to the one with the timeline, <laughs> if we can find it, yes, You'll see there, that, you know, look at these writings and prophets, you see. Israel and the northern kingdom there. We heard it from Don last week for Elijah, spoke to them, prophesied to them. Uh, and uh, you know, eventually the kingdom breaks down. Isaiah says the same thing, Jeremiah to the southern Jude, to Judah. And they go off into captivity as well. And so you see what happens is Isaiah was written um, during this Assyrian invasion at the end, of, and that was the end of the northern kingdom. And uh, Isaiah's service to call is famously written down, isn't it? You'll all know that verse in Isaiah 6. It kind of reflects back on how Isaiah was called. You know, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw this vision of the Lord. And this was his call. He had to stand up and be a prophetic man for God. And Jeremiah. Um, he appeared on the scene some hundred years later or so, and um, he prophesied through the reigns of Judah's five last, the last five kings of Judah, and he appealed to the people to forsake their evil ways and return back to the true God. What was the problem with the so-called God's people? They didn't worship God. They had become worshippers of pagan idols. And so these prophets were always, in a way, not just prophesying, speaking forth about what was going to happen in the future, but actually calling forth what they should do now. Return to the Lord your God. 
Ezekiel was among a group of people that was actually taken captive and actually went off to um, Babylon and uh, he was commissioned by God to be the watchman, to speak on God's behalf. Now, I've already hinted at this, the major message and mission of the prophets is the theme of obedience. Return to the Lord, be obedient to the Lord, As you are obedient to God, then you will be blessed. And disobedience will result in some serious consequences. Well, we've already seen the end picture, in a sense. They did. The serious consequences were the nations were scattered. Right? Into Assyria and into Babylon. You see, they did not heed. That means they did not listen and respond to the word of God. Time after time, over many years, God sent faithful prophets. That's why that whole chunk of the Bible is all these prophets speaking to God's people, giving them warning. Don't fall away. Come back. We, we say the same thing, don't we? <coughs> the word is repent. Repent. You know, and that's the kind of a word that sometimes gets missed out in churches these days. We don't like to have to be there to say, people are sinners. Well, we do in this church. Not with any joy, do we point it out, but because of the joy we know that when we come in repentance, there is forgiveness. And that is the gospel message. Return to God. If maybe you don't get anything else from being here today, is that simple message that I need to turn back to God. I need to trust Him and I need to follow Him. I need to acknowledge what Jesus Christ has done for me. Return, repent, and follow God's way. That is the path of blessing. When Israel and Judah didn't follow, then the dire consequences of going into captivity became theirs. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were among those who warned the people of their repercussion. Jeremiah put it like this, Have you not brought this on yourself, in that you have forsaken the Lord your God? Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backsliding will rebuke you. Sadly, the subsequent history of these nations just proves that they didn't take God seriously. The message of prophets in the Old Testament is both one of judgment and of hope. It's both judgment and hope. And that's the Christian message. There will be a judgment, but there is hope. And that is the emphasis that we've been hearing through this message, through the purpose of God. God will always want to call us back and there will be judgment. There are consequences to our actions. But there is hope. Hope in what God will do in our lives and through us. It's surprising though that many people, even today, still grow up believing that the God of the Old Testament was someone who must have been stern and cruel 
But I would like to suggest that that picture is far from the truth. In these major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, there are some wonderful words of God. And I don't know if we're going to see some of them. Here they are. I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore turn and live. There's hope. God wants to bring this hope in. Famous verses like the one in Jeremiah 29, I know the thoughts I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. God is kind of going past, yes, there's these bad things and there are consequences, but there's still hope. I love the point that Don brought out last week. Even though Elijah felt he, in a way he had failed, and we might feel we have failed, there is hope. It's wonderful, isn't it? There is always hope. God will swallow up death forever and wipe away the tears from our faces. I will turn their mourning to joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than be sorrowful. He says it's important to ask ourselves, if we just understand this is a history of the past, that's not enough. We need to ask ourselves, are we in our own present generation making the same mistakes that those ancient Israelites did thousands of years ago by turning away from God? Now, I don't need to give a hard thumping speech on this I think all of us who are here today would recognise that yes as a nation we have turned away from God haven't we it's not what it used to be certainly isn't what it should be and so this is the relevant message God's purposes haven't changed through history I know I'll meet people and you've probably met them and say oh well that was alright for then All your God stuff was alright when you lived back in superstitious times, but this is a message for now still. Our God is alive. And he's working here and now, and he speaks into the here and now. Paul put it like this, when he said this about them, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written down as warnings to us. So when we look back on the biblical history... Yes, they're warnings and examples to us, not just to the people of the time. We need to take note. Bless you. Is that my wife? (laughs) Peter would say, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And both the earth and its works will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what kind of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? It is imperative that we are in a constant state of readiness to meet our God, to stand before him. There is a day of judgment But the Christian message is a message of hope that we can come through that judgment and be safe on the other side. Amen? And we can know that now. Not just wishful thinking, thinking, oh, I hope I make it. It's not that kind of hope. It's a certainty hope. It will happen. 
And I just like, oh, well, I hope I get there. I, you know, sometimes when I'm in church and I talk to people and I come around, we sit and we chat, uh, and I'll often say, well, you know, you're certainly going to go to heaven, or I hope so. I think, hang on. You've been coming to church for 30, 40, 50 years, and you're still saying, I hope so? You're not certain? And it's not a certainty of arrogance and saying, yeah, look at me, I'm a really great guy. God really, he'd be blessed if he brought me into heaven. No, you know, my certainty isn't in me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ in his blood and his righteousness, isn't it? That's, that's where our certainty lies. That's the message. This is what God has said. This is his promises. This is what I stand on. That's my hope. That's why we're told, you know, the Bible doesn't say go and share your faith. It says go and share your hope. You know, have you ever realised that? It talks about give a reason for why you have hope. For the hope that you have. Sharing our faith is just a way of saying, yeah, this is what I know. I know that Jesus Christ has died for me. And I know that he has forgiven me. And I know that he has put his spirit within me. And I know that because of that, I will be with him forever. That's the Christian message of hope. Not me, what I've done, but what he's done. I just want to share my hope. I have this, and it's a certainty. We can know it today. I write these things, said John in in his letter, I write these things so that you may know for certain. Hallelujah. 1 John 5 verse 13. Yes, well, the Holy Spirit has come and gives us a better understanding of the mind of Christ and his purpose in our lives. That's what we have. We, we grow in that hope and that promise, that certainty of that hope uh, as we dwell in his word and we are sensitive to his spirit then we can stand. Jesus put it like this, Watch and pray always so that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Amen? Indeed. That is it. Now, you saw a picture of um, Roosevelt on that, and I want to kind of just go back. When I did my GCSEs, and, you know, actually I was thinking about this as I wrote these things down, and it's kind of like 40 years ago. It just makes me realise how old you get. <laughs> now, I don't know, I, did, I had to study North American politics for some reason, that's what the, you know, you know, O levels now, I don't know if they do that, North America. We did North American geo- geography and the politics of North America. So I knew a lot about North America. And one of the guys I found fascinating was um, FDR, you know, Roosevelt. And um, one of the things with Franklin Roosevelt did was on March the 12th, 1933, he was the first one in the world as a, as a national leader to sit down with a microphone in that relatively new technology called radio <laughs> um, and speak to the nation. And millions upon millions of people gathered around their radios to listen to him. Do you know the subject of what he spoke about? Anybody? 
He didn't do the same GCSE board that I did, obviously. <laughs> he spoke about banking. Right? Stimulating stuff. If you know your history, there had been a Great Depression. In fact, what he had done, he had closed all the banks. And now he was speaking to the nation and uh, describing the measures that he'd put in place with his government to make sure that the banking crisis would never happen again. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I didn't really go very far, did it? But um, anyway, he ended up by asking the people of America to show their confidence, their new confidence, by depositing their money back into their local banks when they reopened the next day. Right? And miraculously, people did just that. Because they trusted him. They trusted him. And they put their money in the banks and the crisis was alleviated. Had, uh, Franklin Roosevelt famously campaigned promising this New Deal for America. That's where I got into it because I loved reading about the, the Great Depression. I love reading kind of Steinbeck novels. They're all about that time. Anybody read those sort of things? You know, they're, they're kind of, it's all that, that period of time, lots of stuff going on. And uh, this was America's New Deal. And he was determined to deliver this. That was his pledge for campaigning. And um, actually, he, he achieved it. The whole of America really did turn around. And that blessed, in a way, the whole of the globe. He was the first one to use those kind of media presentations. Everybody uses them these days, down to Twitter and goodness as well, don't they? Anyway, 2,500 years before that, Jeremiah went through a great depression of his own as well. And here there was, he, when him and his, his countrymen were under the thumb of a foreign power of Babylon at this stage, and a godless king called Nebuchadnezzar. And Jerusalem had been destroyed, and uh, the temple was a pile of rubble, and many of the leading citizens had been deported. It was a time of spiritual darkness, and the traditional faith in Yahweh had virtually all but vanished. And Jeremiah spoke out of his depression. Jeremiah is not by and large a happy book. Has anybody read the prophecy of Jeremiah? You know, you kind of like... <sighs> I remember when I was courting my wife. I was reading the book of Jeremiah, asking God for a word about, should I marry this girl? Oh man, I, I couldn't wait to get the end of that prophecy. <laughs> Jeremiah just kind of is, is, you know, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. You know, he's the crying prophet. Everything is just bad stuff. But in the middle, in the middle of all this depression that Jeremiah goes through, there's always these words of hope. These promises and these prophecies that are not just the doom and gloom and everything's going to be bad, but of hope. And a future. Prospects to go forward with. And God pronounced His judgment, but He also declared His hope for His people. And God spoke a promise of a new deal. Things will get better. 
I love it. I put it up here if you can find it. I don't know if it's on the screen. There it is. There's the first bit. Anyway, it comes from the message. The time is coming when I will make a brand new covenant with Israel and Judah. It won't be a repeat of the covenant I've made with their ancestors when I took them by their hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant even though I did my part as their master. And then speaking with clarity and compassion, he goes on and says, this is the brand new covenant that I will make with Israel. When the time comes, I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will no longer go around setting up schools to teach each other about God. They'll know me firsthand. The dull and the bright and the smart and the slow. Whoever you are, I'll wipe the slate clean for each of them and I'll forget their sins forever. Isn't that good news? This is the new deal. This is the new hope. And I just want to to go with me and notice the contrast between the old and the new here. You see, in the old covenant, if we go on, you'll see a list. In under the old covenant, there was it was the covenant that was based on law. Even though there was still this covenant where we we had to live by faith, it was always by faith. But when the covenant of law came in, that kind of it blocked people's vision. They just kind of thought you've got to do this or else. But God renews this covenant. Have I got news for you, he says. This is a covenant of grace. The old was based on your works. If you do this, it'd be okay. The new is is faith. You trust me. The old covenant was carved on tablets of stone. But the new covenant, he says, is going to be written on your heart. Thank you again. (laughs) The first covenant was about knowledge of God to a limited group of people, a chosen few, who were part of this children of Israel. But the new covenant was going to be for everyone. That's you and me. Everyone who would call on God's name. In the, new, the, in the old, God writes the law and we have to obey or else. There's consequences. But in the new covenant, God gives a law and he gives us the strength to actually obey. The strength to follow. He puts his spirit within us so that we can live it out. You see, God is saying through Jeremiah, have I gotten good news for you? Have I got some good news? Have I got a new deal for you? Everything may look a disaster. My people may have looked as though they're scattered to the four winds of the corners of the earth, so to speak. But have I got a new deal? This is a new covenant. Instead of divorce, you notice in the, in the old reading when I read it from Jeremiah early, he said, I, I have been a husband to you. You see, God isn't looking for a divorce, he's looking for a new reconciliation. He wants to rebuild. That's what this new covenant is, in a sense. It's new good news of the new covenant is even when we are faithless, he is faithful. That's good news, isn't it? 
When we are faithless, he is faithful. And God will always keep his promises. But hey folks, we live in a time that actually doesn't seem like that, does it? We live in days where actually promises are so easy to break and promises given to us are broken so readily. Much of a solicitor's work, and I don't know if there are any solicitors amongst us, but it seems to me that much of a solicitor's work is trying to help people, help their clients, get out of a contract that they don't want to be in anymore. People seem to work faithfully for their employer for years, only to discover that their employment is terminated and their benefits are cut and they're left on the shelf. More and more people are not knowing even if they can retire. They trusted the pension funds only to find that it's been sent somewhere else. Promises, promises seem to be broken everywhere. The bond of friendship gets broken through arguments and people's plans are destroyed. Couples enter into covenants of marriage only to bail out when there's trouble. You know, when we look at the reality of the world we live in, it seems hard actually to even imagine what an everlasting covenant would be because the kind of promises we make, well, we can throw them away so easily. So when God says, I'm going to make a promise, this covenant, and it's going to last forever, we, we, we can't even get our heads around it, can we? Jeremiah was declaring this good news. In the midst of their depression, in the midst of their scattering, in the midst of their judgment, here is this promise. And it, you see, them, see it in different ways throughout all the prophets, but you see it here. I'm just concentrating on these verses in Jeremiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel speak of all of it. Jeremiah points... The time is coming when there'll be a new covenant. Da-da. <laughs> this is symbolic of the new covenant, isn't it? Bread and wine. A time is coming when I will make a new covenant. One that will last forever. One that even when you break, I'm going to be faithful to. Jeremiah pointed to Jesus. Isaiah pointed to Jesus. Ezekiel pointed to Jesus. That's what these prophets, that's what they did. They would announce, yes, you need to return to the Lord. Come back and follow his way. But there is hope because Jesus is coming. The new deal. The new covenant that God wants to make with his people. I will be their God and they will be my people and I will wipe away their sins and remember them no more. Now I think that's the kind of deal that everybody looks for. (laughs) Who wouldn't want a second chance? Hmm? Who wouldn't want a second chance at love? To kind of put it right. A second chance in that relationship to Rebuild it. A second chance in marriage. A second chance in your career. (laughs) 
A second chance in faith. Oh, to start over, Lord. That would be good, wouldn't it? There are times when all of us would just love to start over again. A chance when we wish we had... Do the, not do the things we ended up doing. Chance when we would kind of avoid the things we did do, all the mistakes. Chance to get it right. God's good news is that that new start comes today. Prof. Jeremiah was pointing forward. The time is coming. We are in that time. The time has already come through Jesus Christ. God's good news is we can start over today. Am I speaking to someone here and that's exactly what you need to hear? We have failed. And I thought it was hopeless, but God's message is there is hope. There's a new beginning. Notice some of these wonderful things of this new covenant that God makes. It's a new covenant, it's a new deal of forgiveness. God promises to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west, and to remember them no more. I told you I read Steinbeck. I'm actually piling my way through a book of Hemingway novels at the moment. You know, my wife joined this book club thing where you buy a whole block of books really cheap. I went to Dickens. I ended up giving them away. Couldn't stand Dickens. <laughs> oh, oh, poor, the poor lad, I know. But I don't feel sorry for him. He spends ten pages to describe something sometimes. I'll get on with it. <laughs> if you're a Dickens fan, I could have given you a whole set of them. <laughs> well, anyway, Ernest Hemingway... He tells a story of a, a Spanish father who wanted to be reconciled with his son. This is a true story. His son had run away from home and, and gone to Madrid. And uh, Hemingway wrote, uh, that says that the father um, put an advert in the local newspaper. Simply read this. Paco. Paco, I believe, is a Spanish name. Yeah, common Spanish name. Paco. Meet me at the Hotel Montana on noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Paca is a common name in Spain. And when the father went to the hotel, (laughs) there were over 800 Pacos looking for their fathers, wanting to know their forgiveness. It's a powerful little thing, isn't it? You know? Hemingway's illustration, and it just tells us how desperate people are for forgiveness. 800 of them read a one-sentence advert and said, I'm going to be there then. God says, I'm making a new covenant through my son Jesus. Anyone who calls on his name, their sins will be forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? It's a new deal of forgiveness offered in this covenant, this new relationship. It's a new deal about trust and intimacy. In the new covenant, the law of God will no longer just be an external thing. It won't just be this book as though it's just words on a page. God's saying it's going to become internal. I'm going to write it on your heart. It's not tablets of stone kept in a, in a, you know, the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. It's going to be on your hearts. You, if you're a believer, you know that God has written on your heart. The will and the ways of God will be known to us 
personally and intimately. You know what that means? It says they will no longer teach one another to say no God. That means the job of prophets and pastors and professors and Sunday school teachers and youth ministers, we're all going to be out of work. Because God is writing on our hearts. There's an intimacy. You will know. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. You will know that you know that you know that you are a child of God. It's not because I just read it and think, yes, there's that. I can, I can know it because, but actually it's written inside my heart. I know because I know in whom I have believed. There's a new deal of intimacy, but there's a new deal about the power for living. God offers us the strength to conquer sin and the power to move forward, the power to go beyond that past to a new life. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit and His Word written inside us. Well, not something external, but something internal. God works in us so that we work out His salvation. Do you know the story of there was a tradesman who discovered that one of his trusted employees had been stealing from him? He brought charges against the man who was found guilty and sent to prison. However, when the man was later released from prison, he learned to his amazement that the whole time he was incarcerated, his employer had paid his usual, usual wages to his wife and children. The employer had came back and sorry, the, the, the guy came out of prison and not only just found that his money had been put, paid, but actually his job was open to him again. Right. The employer just said, "We can start afresh. We can start afresh." You see, God's forgiveness is like that. There are consequences to our misdeeds. If you do something wrong, you will be punished. That's what God says. But there is hope. There is still the new deal. There is still the new relationship. I was um, talking to a couple. I've forgotten where they are now. Who's from the Isle of Wight? There you are. In the, in the break, uh, I was telling them, <coughs> I used to go to the Isle of Wight when I was a teenager. I remember starting a fire on the Isle of Wight, <laughs> running away from Hopefully I won't be charged for this now, some 40 years later. <laughs> but uh, we used to bunk, I used to bunk, my dad's not here, is he? <laughs> we used to bunk off school, and we'd jump on the Isle of Wight ferry for the day. Right? They weren't going to catch you there. <laughs> I look back on my life, and I, you know, this is when I lived in Southampton, you know, there was a lot of stuff in my life. I ended up with a criminal record. I'm not proud of it. But I know what it's like to be forgiven. I know what it's like to say, the old has gone and the new has come. Oh boy, yeah, the things, I used to think they were a laugh then, but I can see how dangerous most of it is now. I had a fresh start. I've been a 
Christian minister now for I don't know how many years and I think time and time again when I come and I, and I just sit in my office and pray and sometimes I've come into the sanctuary here and just prayed and prayed and asked God why am I so useless? I feel like the worst of sinners and God gives me a fresh start again and again and again. It's one of my favourite verse is in the prophet of Jonah when it just said and God spoke to Jonah a second time. He was in the belly of a big fish. He had ultimately failed and God spoke to him a second time. And I know that experience where God has spoken to me a third time and a fourth time and a fifth and he's given me so many new starts. And if there's anyone here today and you just need that new deal, that new hope, that new start, today is the day. There are consequences for our past, but God gives a breath of future. Let's remind ourselves God's promises to forgive our sins, to give us his spirit to dwell within us. There's nothing stopping you from having a renewed relationship with God today. Fourthly and finally, there's a new deal of what I call responsibility. You see, Roosevelt's new deal was not a free ride for the Americans. In fact, he said these immortal words. He says, we've provided the machinery to restore the financial system. Now it is up to you to support it and make it work. It is your problem, no less than it is my problem. But together, we cannot fail. That sounds like a good bit of American jingoism, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, but together we're going to do it. But that's how God works with us as well. Yes, It's there in the process, it's there, it's ideal, but we can do this. I'm paving the way, he says. One theologian puts it like this, I found this an interesting uh, reading. He said, um, he suggests the people in Jeremiah's time assumed the covenant was all about being privileged, but Jeremiah claims the covenant is about being responsible. The way Jeremiah sees it is the people are acting like spoilt rich kids driving a Mercedes at 100 miles an hour thinking that the world better get out of their way and if anything goes wrong, Daddy and his checkbook and all his lawyers will handle any difficulties. And it's this attitude that drives Jeremiah to distraction because it's a total travesty. It misses the point totally. There is a sting in judgment. It is real. But God says that his final word is not judgment. His final word is hope and salvation. This new covenant. And we're going to just now, in these last few minutes, going to come and share in this bread and wine because the new covenant was brought to us through by Jesus. It was affirmed on the night he was betrayed. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And this cup is a cup of the new covenant, a new relationship found in God through Jesus Christ. Do this, eat this, drink this in remembrance of me. A new relationship for all his followers. Forgiveness, intimacy, responsibility and power with God. 
And when we accept God's new deal, and when we just come for the first time and say, thank you, Jesus, this is what you have done. This, thank you, God, you sent your son and brought me life through his death. Thank you, Lord, I've worshipped you and I've followed you, but I have failed you. Renew me today. Restore me. When we receive this covenant, we know we're loved. We know we're intimately connected with God. If anyone is in Christ, I think it says that, they are a new creation. The old has gone and everything has become new. Let me close and go into the communion with an illustration. There was a pastor who had a woman in his congregation who was rather outspoken in her criticism of him. Nothing he did seemed to please her. I guess every pastor's got at least one or two of those in the congregation, maybe. Um, So it was a real trial for him, but it became really happy news when he heard that she was moving with her family to a different town. Years passed by, and one day that pastor received a letter from her. In the intervening years, she had had a change of heart, and looking back, she'd realised how unfair she'd been on that pastor. And overcome with remorse, she wrote back and asked him to forgive her for the way she criticised him over all those years. The following day, she received a message. It just had three words on it. Forgiven, forgotten, forever. Have you failed God? Do you need hope? Do you need his forgiveness? When we share now this bread and this wine, God just sends this message to us. Forgiven. Forgotten. Forever. That's some new deal, isn't it? That's what this gospel is about. God's message hasn't changed. He was saying it thousands of years and then it got fulfilled in Christ and it still speaks to us today. Let me just close our eyes for the moment. Don reminded us last week that as Baptists we're not particularly good at silence. So we're going to have a time of silence. And I want you just to think and meditate on all that Jesus Christ has done for us. Promised from the very beginning... made clearer and clearer through phases of revelation. And God speaks, forgiven, forgotten, forever.